Okay. Are we live? I think we're live. Let me let yeah, me check. See, like I, I I I don't I don't trust it as a thing. I don't trust technology. So I'm, I'm gonna uh, actually go okay. ahead and I'm gonna have this little ritual. Uh, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over to my Twitter page. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna check and oh okay, that works on the computer. The computer says we're live. Okay, let me check on my phone too because I really don't trust this thing one bit. Let me check check on my on my phone. Oh. Uh, Oh, I, I, we're live. Okay. Okay. I believe it now. I believe it. We're live. All right. Welcome, Bowtie Katinga, to the Under the Sea podcast, episode two. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks. Yeah. Um, it's really great to be on. I'm excited to be a uh, second animal on here, actually. Honored. Yeah, listen, it's a pleasure to have you here. And, you know, I really want to take the time to get to know you. As I've said in the previous podcast, you know, the goal of this particular uh, podcast is to try to add a more personal touch to the jungle, right? So, you know, the goal here is to, you know, find the topics that you find interesting, what brought you here, your journey, right? And, you know, we can discuss some current events too. So it'll be pretty free form. But uh, let's start from the beginning, right? Because you had a Twitter presence before you were Katinga. What was yes. your username before that? So um, my handle was, I guess I went through two iterations. Um, I started the account in, I'm trying to think, January, maybe. And uh, it was originally called Mission for Wisdom. Uh, so I guess kind of like the um, motivation behind starting the account originally was... I was kind of, so I guess I was still in college at this point and had just read, had just read Sovereign Individual. You know, I've been following Bull for a while. Oh, wait, hold on. You, you read the book too? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. kind of like, I swear it's like the, uh, I don't know, DJ Island Bible almost like every, uh, every animal seems to use it as like a huge part of their worldview. Yeah. It's crazy. Barbara and I were talking about that the last time uh, when he was on. Yeah, we've talked about it for like a good like half hour. Yeah, yeah. Like literally everyone's read that. It's a it has it's had a massive impact on people, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So anyway, yeah, basically like I guess the um original um point behind the Twitter account was like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, I don't know exactly what I want to do. Uh so I'm just gonna try and build an audience and like just write about stuff that I learned. So it was kind of like a like a self-improvement um account kind of thing first and Eventually, I uh, like continued to, to niche down, and then I switched over to modern age wealth. Um, so I'm going into the hedge fund industry, and I'm super interested in investing and all that. So I like kind of niche down to uh, more like money and, and crypto related topics there. And then when I saw the jungle being created, like at first, uh, you know, I kind of wasn't sure about joining just because I already had the established brand, but then, you know, I kind of looked at what was being, what was being built and I heard some of the conversations in the discord and I was like, wow, you know, these people on here, they're all super smart. They're all exactly like me. They kind of have the same vision for the future. Like, I think if I join in, you know, this 2035 thing could be a reality and I definitely want to be a part of it. So that was uh, kind of how I ended up switching over to being Bowtied Katinga now. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? What vision for the future was it that made you want to jump in? Yeah, kind of just like a, a whole group of people all wanting to, yeah, a group of turbo autists, I guess, as, as Bull would say, um, all kind of wanting to become sovereign individuals and uh, get to 
yeah, DJ Island 2035, um, you know, own crypto, build side businesses, become location independent, kind of just like the ultimate form of freedom. Um, and we're all pursuing that. And, and that was kind of something that I wanted to jump along for the ride for and, and build this uh, kind of community together. I got to tell you, man, it really is a pleasure to have you with us. Um, I just want to elaborate a little bit on some of the things you just mentioned as well. Um, now, you, you said that uh, you were going to be joining a hedge fund uh, mm -hmm. or, that, or that you're already working for one. Is that, isn't that a little antithetical to the, the whole decentralized wealth thesis? How do you square that? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is. Uh, I kind of look at it like, so, I mean, first, first priority, I'm, I'm definitely one of the younger, uh, younger animals in the jungle. Um, so like, you know, a side business and stuff is great, but, uh, at this point in my life, I definitely, uh, I guess I'm still kind of looking to get that career income and, you know, I kind of followed the, uh, traditional path and all that with like uh, target college, I recruited for investment banking and then kind of decided to, to go the hedge fund route instead. But, um, I guess it's, yeah, it's definitely a little, um, ant antithetical to, um, the vision of decentralization, but, um, just in terms of a short term, uh, few year thing. Just I mean, it's, it's a great way to get some experience. I mean, I have yeah. a lot of friends who work in hedge funds. I mean, when I was, uh, in college, I actually, uh, I did some work. Um, uh, uh, so I, I have a background in physics and math. And okay. so uh, I did some quant work uh, when I was in yeah. college for an undisclosed company uh, mm -hmm. on Long Island. You, you can probably guess which one, but uh, it, yeah. Uh, it, but, but yeah, so uh, it, no, a lot of us have backgrounds like that. So are, do you intend to stay there long-term or are you just there to make some money and get, get the experience for now? Like what's your 10 year plan with all this? Um, 10 year plan. So, you know, it's funny, like, I think a few years ago, if you asked me my 10 year plan, I was still, you know, always planning on going into finance. I would say, oh, I definitely want to work my way up the ladder and eventually like become a manager or start my own fund. But with the way that um, crypto has kind of developed and, you know, the whole like banks or zeros thing, who knows if, um, you know, hedge funds are going to exist long term in a world where like every single asset's traded on chain and it maybe it doesn't really make sense for for large institutions to be paying two and 20 to invest in these funds anymore. So I think I have kind of pivoted a little bit to I'll probably spend the next two to four years, maybe a little bit longer working for these funds, gain some investment experience um, and just develop like the way I think while building some side businesses on the side. And, uh, you know, when I'm location independent and, and can kind of leave that career, I'll, uh, I'll reevaluate from there. But I'll, I definitely love investing. And I think, you know, being uh, eventually like a sovereign investor uh, myself and like moving into, you know, say, say in 10 years, if I'm some crypto whale, hopefully if this all works out, uh, kind of use those skills to invest in all sorts of projects and, and technologies on my own. Yeah, so that sounds like a pretty worthy goal. I mean, I want to elaborate a little bit more on a couple of things you mentioned again. So, you know, you mentioned the possibility that hedge funds are, would go out of business, that it wouldn't be a viable market for them. Uh, maybe that's something that we can flesh out for our audience here, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get a little bit confused mm -hmm. about the technicalities of that. 
What parameters yeah. exactly do you think about the market are going to change that are going to make it less viable for hedge funds to exist? You mentioned two and 20. Maybe we could uh, actually flesh those out for the not going to make it crowd. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, two and 20 um, is just, you know, like the standard hedge fund fee structure, 2% management fee uh, per year on all the assets the hedge fund takes, and then 20% of the profits. Uh, in, in basic terms, I mean, there's definitely some other like technicalities in terms of like high water marks and stuff where, you know, the fund has got to keep uh, adding value in order to collect those performance fees. But I think in the future, and we're already starting to see it, of course, with crypto assets, like the, I guess the long-term vision is eventually every asset, whether it's stocks or, or bonds or real estate, should eventually be able to be traded on on public blockchains and when that happens you know the entire blockchain is public so any investor will be able to see exactly what any of these institutions are doing because their wallet addresses are public so why pay that two and twenty to a hedge fund when you can just copy trade them yourself or, or hire some, I don't know, digital firm that's maybe charging like half a percent total to, uh, to make those copy trades for you. It definitely is going to like bring down the, the fees significantly, which will be pretty bearish for the hedge fund industry. I think long-term, I mean, that's a probably still a while away, but something to look out for. Yeah, no, that, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I mean, being part of this community that generally is not particularly fond of what the hedge funds have been doing in the past, at least in terms of like asymmetric information, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's definitely, you know, crossing a line to some degree in terms of ethics. I mean, it, 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 either on purpose or not on purpose, it does seem like they have an unfair advantage in a lot of these cases. Uh, maybe we can uh, jump into that a little bit more too. Uh, so the hedge funds are operating on asymmetric information, right? And that's part of yes. what makes them successful. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you as an investor get your asymmetric edge? Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I think in so personally, like, I don't, I don't own any assets myself outside of crypto. So uh, personally, I guess I'll just talk about that. I mean, there's it's definitely, uh, I guess, the same investment process for everything. But I think there's, honestly, I think there's a lot of value in just doing like deep fundamental research and, and kind of understanding uh, everything you can about the uh, the projects you're investing in. Like, it's not uh, it's not that investing is easy or anything, but uh, you know, like the tried and true systems generally like especially in a market uh, like crypto with with a lot of alpha still around if you're just looking at oh you know this this protocol has a great developer community or makes has a lot of cash flow gets a ton of of usage like you can kind of um you know just put in the time researching all those fundamentals instead of copy trading someone or, or not really understanding what you're looking at and, and get pretty good results. And I guess that's, that's what I've found so far, just along with, of course, like, I think the number one thing that sets apart 
people that that do well from people that don't is um like strong conviction along with your fundamental research like diamond hands 100 complete confidence in yourself and your investment opinions while also being able to kind of change your mind on a whim when presented with new information which i think is is super difficult for a lot of people to do Let's try to make that a little bit more concrete. Um, yeah. Could you could you walk me through a crypto investment you made and how you decided to make that that uh, decision decision to invest? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I'm trying to think of. I'm gonna try and go with. Uh, I guess I'll talk about sushi because I just did that Twitter thread on them. Yeah, that was um, that was an excellent thread, by the way. I retweeted that. I love that thread. Uh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so. I guess when I was looking at sushi, like um, I originally invested in it just from from reading the the bull portfolio, but then I kind of looked at it uh, a lot more, and uh, I think I'm definitely more of a fan of it than other um, like DeFi assets. So I guess when I was looking at that, I kind of went through I kind of went through like several different things. So. Um, I, when you look first, I'm gonna gonna pull a couple things up. Uh, please do. If you want me to share the screen, we, we can absolutely do that. Anything you need, charts wise. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, I will see. So I guess like the first thing um, you got to look at with a lot of these DeFi assets uh, is you know how much how much fee revenue are they generating? Like, are people using the platform? And like in the case of Sushi Swap. Like right now, it's at it's at number I think number seven today in one day fees. I think when I checked the other day, it was it was at number four. So it was just behind Ethereum, Uniswap V3, and Uniswap V2. Uh, and you know that's obviously very impressive, and a lot of people are using the the platform, which is great. Uh, and mm, I'm trying to think of a, the best way to go through this, like logically, because there, I don't know, kind of a lot of factors in, in why I like sushi a lot. But you could just tell the uh, story. I mean, yeah. we, brought, we brought you to you first. How'd you hear about it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess I kind of yeah missed out on the whole DeFi summer thing, but I think sushi after um, after it kind of forked away from Uniswap, like a lot of projects in crypto, maybe get um some some stigma when they're just copies of of another project like you know obviously all the bitcoin forks and and ethereum forks didn't work out and so you know when you're trying to do fundamental research on on an asset you know maybe you you're trying to look at things that aren't uh being talked about or aren't being valued um in the way that you think and i think the narrative around sushi swap was oh this is kind of just a, a shitty copy of Uniswap and it's going to go to zero. Uh, and, and a lot of people probably didn't, you know, think too much of it, especially after they kind of had the Rocky launch with uh, Chef Nomi, like stealing the funds and then coming back and, and apologizing to the community. But then, uh, you know, when, when I actually looked into it, like the developers are, are doing a lot of cool things. Uh, so some of the stuff I talked about in the thread, they're kind of, Really, the only platform, DeFi platform on Ethereum I've seen, at least not the only one, but I think they've put the most work into kind of decentralizing themselves in terms of number one, like 
they've deployed their platform on Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, Polygon, Phantom. I know they're they're launching on Arbitrum, which is um, the layer two that's going to come out very soon. Uh, and uh, I think that's huge because I'm pretty bullish on Ethereum and I think it's going to work out. But I definitely see like a multi-chain future and the fact that Sushi's kind of deployed on all of those chains made me feel pretty bullish. And then um, beyond that, like, I think the main thing I liked about Sushi was the whole concept of it being like a productive asset. So a lot of the coins in DeFi right now, you don't really, I guess the value of the coin maybe isn't as well connected to the value of the project, like with Uniswap, um, you know, you can provide liquidity with the, the token or, and it can be used as a governance token, but you don't actually get rewards from, from just holding it versus like with Sushi because of the way their uh, fee sharing structure works. Say you, you can stake it in, in Sushi Bar and earn those um, 0.05% uh, rewards of the liquidity pools, which, you know, at some points you can get like 40% annual percentage yield on that. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Great. Yeah. So, you know, you, you see something like that and you say, okay, you know, here's cash flow that you get from holding the token that's directly connected to the value of the token and the protocol. So it kind of like reduces the, the speculation on price and returns it to fundamentals, right? So oh, I, if I make money by holding this token, like I'm going to be more incentivized to hold it. And it's kind of like a self-fulfilling cycle in that way. Um, so I think, you know, as more and more people come around to, to sushi, that's, that's going to be a huge selling point. And along with that, like they're uh, becoming like a full service DeFi platform and bringing out tons of innovation. And as we know, like DeFi is, is kind of innovating by the day. And like, if you don't, keep up with the space or honestly stay ahead, it's pretty easy to be left behind. I mean, there's so many, it seems like there's so many hot altcoins every single cycle that do great for a little bit and then kind of go to zero and, and fall behind. So I love the stuff that they're doing with, with Onsen and, and Kashi and, and Bento Box. Like eventually, if that works out, people could be using Sushi for, for all of their DeFi needs. So I guess that was the that was the pitch. I don't know if that made it's a pretty, it's, it is, that made, made perfect sense. Yeah, it's a really good pitch. I mean, I, I have some have a question then. I mean, so what makes it different from a platform like Uniswap? Is it just the fact that it goes through multiple coins? Like, what exactly are the features that uh, separate it from the other you know DEXs and you know similar DeFi platforms? Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, there's probably a couple things that separate Sushi, and I know multiple coins do. Um, do follow like the sushi model for uh, fee sharing, but basically with Uniswap, when you stake your tokens, not stake your or yeah, put, stake your tokens in a, in a Uniswap pool, um, you get 0.3% of the fees. Versus with sushi, you get a quarter of a percent, and then that other 0.05% goes to. Uh, the token holders instead with the sushi bar, like I was saying before. So right. um, it's kind of more of a 
I guess it's kind of more of a, a like decentralized vision where, you know, instead of say, say with Uniswap, like, I don't know, uh, trying having a hard time describing it. Like the token itself isn't, it doesn't, ha it doesn't quite have as much of a, of a use case compared to what Sushi's doing. And I think like, that's what is setting Sushi apart from the other DEXs aside from them also kind of expanding away from from just being a decentralized exchange okay yeah that, that, that works for me all right cool so i want to move away from sushi just for a second i want to take sure. a step back and sort of get a little bit of a bird's eye view since you know you are the whole katinga thing anyway right yeah, uh yeah. so uh no well, actually we'll get to that later because one of my favorite questions i like to ask is i want i like to know the stories behind the avatars because it's always a fun story behind that yeah, uh, pe people have a tendency to pick those for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, but in any case, uh, so we've spent a good amount of time now talking about how you know you decide if a particular crypto asset is a good investment, right? And you brought up mm -hmm. a few key points about Sushi Swap. You know, first yeah. off, you know, having to do with the utilization, the rate of return, right? The, yes. you know, the 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 ability to return and the fact that you know it's uh, secure across um, sorry it's a more secure investment because it's somewhat diversified right across multiple yes. coins with multiple chains so yeah. the, you know those are some great things to look out for right because it allows you to sort of hedge your risk on you know betting on any one token to begin with but I want to take a step back from all of that you know now that we've you know got through that because that's first of all really awesome advice everyone here should be listening to that because those are great questions to ask yourself before you start throwing money at things you know mm -hmm. i know we all like to ape into stuff and we want to actually have money at yeah. the end so yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is all good um so you know a separate question here um and what, what got you to, into looking at crypto investments in the first place now it's funny i i noticed before and i sort of you know missed this you, i think you mentioned that you don't have assets outside of crypto uh, yep. are, are, is your portfolio 100% crypto? 100% crypto. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, why 100% <laughs> well, crypto? Well, why not put anything in a traditional asset? I mean, especially you, you must be familiar with them, right? You work at a hedge fund after all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I guess kind of like the way or the reason I'm 100% crypto is, I mean, I'm I'm 21 years old. Like I can take, in my view, as much risk as as i want at this stage and i think you know it's it's an asymmetric bet right like if crypto works out then i'm you know a multi-millionaire in my mid-20s that'd be kind of nice if it doesn't well you know whatever i'm broke like uh like every other person my age except i still have you know a good career and and solid other skill sets to continue generating income so i'm not really uh I think it's definitely worth uh, the risk for me myself to be 100% in crypto just because of the, the asymmetric upside. So do you think then that people should be following different risk profiles depending on their age? Like say, for example, a person wasn't you know 21 like yourself, say they were 50 or something. Uh, I mean, obviously we can't give investment advice here, so no one should take us too seriously. Yes. But uh, as a general rule, uh, you know, maybe we can describe what risk modeling looks like for a person as they get older. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just like the the crux of it, I guess I would say, and I don't, you know, have this experience as a, as an older person thinking about how I'm gonna de-risk my portfolio as I get older. But certainly, 
uh, the older you get and the more wealth you accumulate, you should be thinking about how you want to protect the value of your investments rather than, you know, going all in on growth, say. So like e even Bull, for example, you know, has his 10% um, financial independence bucket of traditional assets, even though he's all in on crypto. And I think that a 10% probably um, for him is fine given the net worth. But I guess if you're a 50 year old person and I've said this to my dad because I have uh, I've gotten him into into crypto fairly recently. Oh, very nice, very nice. How, tell me the story behind that at some point. Actually, you, you want to yeah. tell it now? Would you be comfortable telling the story? Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, should we do that now or just uh, in a? Yeah, minutes? go for it. Go for it. Explain. It. Yeah, basically, yeah. So, um, I I started investing in crypto when I was mm, maybe 16, 17, 17 years old. Oh, that's early. Uh, and. Yeah, just kind of whatever. I would put my uh, summer job money in in, in college and in, in high school, late high school. Uh, some of the money I made with my web design business back when I still ran that, and it was like a it was a four year process, definitely to to convince him to um, get into it. So at first he was kind of like, "Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really understand this." Which, you know, if you're and you know, in your fifties, it's definitely not um, congruent, perhaps with you know a traditional worldview of the financial system. Uh, but I think over time, he probably saw that I didn't. I mean, I I started investing probably pretty close to the top in twenty seventeen, and then I was in the red for about two years, maybe two and a half years uh, before. This most recent bull run, my my net worth definitely shot up after that, and I think him seeing kind of the conviction I had throughout that definitely made him kind of question, like, oh, maybe this is real. And then he kind of was more open to learning. Sarah started suggesting some resources to him, uh, beginner style. Like, I don't know, I think I had him read like the Bitcoin Standard uh, and the Infinite Machine, which is about Ethereum and kind of the origin story there. Uh, and after that, he he decided on his own he wanted to invest. So he's been he's been dollar cost averaging into crypto now. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, which coins do you have him invested in? Is it just like standard like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or do you have him in sushi and stuff like that too? Um, I think he's I think he's just in Bitcoin and Ethereum right now. Good. Uh, Good. Blue chips. I mean, I'm still I'm I'm very happy that he's done that, and definitely the uh, you know there's plenty of alts. I believe in like like sushi and, and others, but uh, yeah, back to the risk pro profile thing. I think yes, please definitely going to be the safest to invest in long term. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure how much. I'm not sure what percentage of his net worth uh, is is exactly in crypto, but uh, definitely at this point, probably probably still. I don't know. Maybe maybe ten percent or less. So a, a decent sized position, but. Uh, nothing that is going to threaten this like long-term retirement plans and stuff that if it doesn't work out. And I think, um, you know, I, I feel like that's probably a fairly sized position uh, for the amount you put in, like say it does go up and, and Bitcoin hits a hundred K plus this year. And in a few years, it's multiple six figures. We have 10 Ethereum, uh, 
and kind of the ecosystem continues to grow, like he'll be very happy with that. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. Cause yeah. be, of course, like, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be 50, but I probably wouldn't <laughs> want to be losing a significant amount of my net worth that I would have to work to, to earn back uh, at that point in my life. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I want to take the conversation to a different thing you brought up before, too. I think at some point you mentioned that originally you were going to go into investment banking, but then you yes. ended up making a jump to a hedge fund. Can you tell me the story behind that? I mean, how did you end up making the switch? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, it was, it was, I guess it was pretty organic. So I kind of got into I always thought I wanted to pursue a career in finance, but I kind of got settled on investment banking, like senior year, high school, freshman year, college, uh, kind of ironically from reading uh, the old Wall Street Playboys blog. I was like thinking, oh, okay, uh, this is one of the top career choices that I can make. It fits with my my skill set and my personality, and uh, I can be in a, in a revenue generating role. Uh, so... Yeah, so I kind of pursued uh, that, and then when recruiting came along for the uh, junior year internship, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with the American finance recruiting process, but I mean, I tell you what, I'm not that familiar with it because I came from a completely different background. I mean, I was you know all physicsy, mathy stuff around that time. So actually, though, we are probably going to have some people here that might uh, eventually be walking into that. Uh, I know young Robin, another bird, part of the jungle, yeah. uh, eventually might go down that route. So why don't you walk us through that a little bit and then maybe explain the switch after that? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, like, um, it's it's pretty, ah, it's pretty it's pretty rigid. And like, I think it's one of those careers that if you want to pursue it at at a high level, if you want to say go work at Goldman Sachs, like, you kind of have to know that you want to do that by the end of your freshman year in college. Uh, and so potentially even earlier because there's, you know, these banks and, and funds definitely care about the whole concept of a target school, which is, you know, like a top 15 to 20 college with uh, good connections and, and an alumni network in the business world. So basically I think now I started recruiting, I think, winter of my sophomore year of college and it's just tons of uh networking tons of meetings like you're talking with different bankers a uh, couple times a week and it's pretty exhausting because i think i don't know i i hated the the recruiting process but um they want you to just show all this interest and, and ask all these questions and kind of commit yourself to to a career and, and to a career on Wall Street and show like you want to work at that bank uh, for them to even give you an interview. So I think I think I talked to maybe like 100 people throughout my recruiting process. Um, and yeah, the, the networking is definitely a huge part of it. But you have to do that for probably months before interviews start. And then you have your Ah, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. Um, but you, hmm, what do so, you think? It's going to take a time. No, no worries. Yeah. 
So, so they start with all, all these questions and then the interviews start and then I presume they start weeding people out through the interviews. Is there yeah. some kind of test that you have to take uh, as well? Um, or? So yeah, I guess basically like you probably, in terms of like a traditional investment banking um, interview process, like, okay, you talk to say five or 10 bankers at that bank, they know you're interested. Um, and if you build those relationships with them before uh, the interviews, then they'll, they'll push your resume uh, to get you a first round and you kind of have to network a lot almost to get those first rounds. Cause otherwise, now, what does it mean to network? So in, in your case, for example, does that mean like you're invited to certain events or you'd reach out to them via email? How does that work? Yeah, basically. So, um, there's, I guess, several aspects of it. So, uh, in the case of, of my school, at least all the banks would come to campus and do like these panels. And then afterwards they would have kind of like dinners and, and stuff like that, or just uh, open rooms where kind of the bankers would stand around and you would show up and, and ask them questions and uh, build relationships with them that way. And then uh, also just like in terms of, uh, yeah, you could just email uh, alumni or, or other bankers that um, people, yeah, that your contacts would give you and, and you just speak with them, let them know that you're interested in, in interning or working at say, yeah, X particular bank. And they kind of on their side decide who they like best and who they want to kind of bring forward into the interview process as well. So it's like a getting to know each other process before you even interview. Yeah. So, so, so you're dating basically. Yeah, basically. You, have, you have speed rounds and then eventually take you away for a long weekend. And then uh, next thing you know, there's a ring on your finger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Exactly. Yeah, um, that, that works. Okay. So then, uh, all right. So we have the recruiting process down. All right. Uh, explain to me why you went from you know, investment banks towards a hedge fund. What's the difference you know, for the lay person doesn't understand too much about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess like, most investment bankers don't, uh, at least at the analyst age and, and from college, like everyone I think has the plan, oh, I want to do two years as an investment banking analyst and then I want to go into private equity or work at a hedge fund. Like Very few people at, at a young age want to uh, stay in investment banking long term. It's more about building the skill set uh, to be able to work at a hedge fund or a um, private equity firm one day, but basically I think over the past decade or so, uh, as, as these large funds, um, kind of grown, like there's definitely been more opportunities for undergrads to jump directly into, into the buy side. So the private equity or hedge fund world. And, um, I just kind of randomly happened to, to have an internship in, a related field at a hedge fund uh, my sophomore year of college and I was and it, I guess it was like relatively um, to relatively like specialized asset class in hedge funds uh, and I saw an opportunity while I was recruiting for banking I saw an opportunity to join um, another one uh, for a junior internship and then I guess eventually full-time and I just I just jumped on it and awesome some people there and uh they they like the experience i had and i think like in many ways a lot of people are kind of so set on this uh two years banking and then 
move to an investing role path that some of these positions that are pretty great just just slip under the radar. Perfect. Okay, so you moved in. I presume you're probably in the Northeast, right? Uh, yes. Given the whole background. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We can all sort of take a guess without doxing you, uh, mm -hmm. but. Uh, so how has that been? And, and I noticed actually, and I think you and I were tweeting about this. Is, ironically, I think it was because of your tweet that uh, that I got into uh, a tweet thread with uh, the tax advisor, Bowtie Tax Advisor. So I can, I can sort of thank you for, obliquely for bringing him into the jungle. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, oh. I think you you were talking about uh, how much uh, it, it costs to live in a major city, right? Yes. Yes, right, yeah, so, yeah. I just moved. Um, yeah, like my first time living on my own and in, in an apartment, and it's uh, the real world is definitely a shock. Yeah, it's it's a lot, isn't it? Right. Because I used yeah. to live in New York City, and uh, I can tell you, I mean, like the, the amount I was paying, like I wasn't even living anywhere like you know tremendous either. Like you know, <laughs> I was living in a, in a closet basically, and it was costing me. Oh gosh, I want to say my, <laughs> my my rent was like two thousand seven hundred a month. Mm -hmm. uh, like it, and that was for 800 square feet. Wow. No, no, less, less than that. Less than that. It was like 600, maybe. Oh yeah, and that's a that's a tough deal. It, yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was in yeah. Manhattan, so like, like thank God okay. for that. <laughs> but like, yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that like you know barely justifies it if you like you know you're familiar with the area. But yeah, how's mm -hmm. that experience been for you so far? Living on your own, starting to get a handle of all this stuff. Um, I mean, it's definitely been. It's definitely been an adjustment. I guess I'll say that like um, one week into work. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I guess if you're working any serious career, like it, it burns you out definitely uh, energy wise. And I've kind of had to, I guess, first in terms of, of managing this this Twitter account and, and trying to grow my uh, income streams, like I have to learn how to prioritize my time super well uh, and, and manage my energy really well. Uh, but yeah, there's just, I don't know, living on your own, there's, there's so much other shit you got to deal with. Like when you're in college, you, uh, you're just whatever in your dorm or, or your off campus house, like you, you go to the dining hall, you, uh, do your homework. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty chill versus, uh, I don't know, real, real life is, uh, is a lot harder than, than school. And I'd suggest like anyone that's, uh, that's in college or, or high school or anything, take advantage of, uh, of all that extra time you'll have because you kind of don't realize uh, what the real world's like until you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. No, the time flies out the window. I, I want to actually bring uh, bring up some stuff that you just mentioned there. Uh, so tell me about your side hustles. You said you, you, you're developing multiple streams of income. I presume one of them is from appreciation of your crypto assets. So what are the others? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I definitely want, I definitely like, I started this Twitter account kind of on the uh, like the money self improvement Twitter side of things. So I guess the goal is definitely to monetize this at some point. I was kicking some ideas around uh, yesterday. I made maybe it was yesterday, the day before. I made a tweet. I think, and I know eBooks probably aren't the best uh, revenue stream, but um, some sort of guide to crypto, like kind of at the same level of of my threads in terms of, of educating people that maybe you know 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 what bitcoin is know what ethereum is not not complete beginner level stuff but you know creating creating a product that would uh 
help someone say and yeah like that that past beginner but uh kind of yeah beginner intermediate range to to really be able to understand uh DeFi and kind of where the world is going in a in a high level way so that's something that i'll probably be working on over the next several months and then yeah. um yeah, after um, you, that. you could probably get some good mileage out of the Substack. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if anybody could monetize it so far in the jungle, I bet you probably could. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely um, that's definitely something that I've also been thinking about in terms of yeah, in terms of monetization. Uh, I guess I would kind of have to brainstorm a bit more in terms of like how I would want to present that content, but. Yeah, that's definitely a great idea. I know a lot of the animals have had have had great success with the uh, with the Substack so far. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are getting subscribers all over the place. I'm not aware that any of them have monetized it yet. Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, yeah, I think did Ox did Ox monetize? I know he was saying that. Uh, yeah, he was, he was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think he has yet. I mean, okay. we can yeah. check that at some point. I'm curious. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I don't, I don't think he has yet though. Yeah, I don't think anybody else has um, other yeah. than him, if he even has it all. But yeah, uh, yeah. No, 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 but no, you you would definitely be able to do that. Honestly, like some of your threads, I'm not gonna lie. Like I I I drop you know what five bucks a month, something like that for it for sure. You could definitely oh. do that. Hey, that's uh yeah, I pre I appreciate that. That sounds good. Maybe uh maybe I'll rethink because yeah, I think definitely one of the problems with uh with crypto is like the space moves so fast that. An ebook, you know, I, I would try to make it as timeless as possible in terms of these explanations, but they just they just go out of date. No, so, yeah, no, it couldn't possibly keep up. But you definitely need more bandwidth than a thread can give you. So I feel like Substack's yeah. a good medium for that. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. You just kind of opened my eyes a little bit. So <laughs> I'm maybe, glad to hear it, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll I'll think of. Uh, I'll think of doing that. I'll I'll drop a I'll drop a post on Twitter and and see what the interest is. I'm sure. Uh, oh, there's going to be some interest. I'm there's sure going to be, be some interest. There's going to be some interest, my dude. I'll tell you what. Sponge over here is going to absorb some of that. That's for sure. So uh, that no, that that'll be good. That'll be really good, man. Okay, awesome. So so what other income streams are you looking at? Is it uh, just going to be like some crypto information stuff, or do you have like another side hustle, other side business that you're you're going for? So. Um, as of now, I, I don't have uh, I don't have anything else generating revenue, which is kind of unfortunate. I did do um, I had my web design side hustle for about a year and a half. Uh, yeah, your th your thread on that was pretty good. I mean, you, yeah. you popped in the Discord the other day. That was all anybody could talk about. Oh wow, yeah. I uh, I guess I remember that now. Um, yeah, I I definitely appreciated all that, um, all the promotion there. Uh, yeah, like I I definitely like doing web design. Um, I kind of, uh, I mean, the circumstances around me stopping doing it kind of, kind of sucked. I just, it was like a combination of, uh, definitely the, uh, financial career recruiting got to be a lot and just being like, I think, you know, 18, 19 years old, psychologically, I had a hard time kind of moving up and saying, I want 10 K for this site, even though <laughs> um, maybe, I, maybe I was providing that value. Maybe I wasn't, uh, so. 
had the only way you know is if you ask, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so I had the same problems because I, I do, um, I, I tutor for test prep. Like I do high end test prep, um, mm-hmm. as my, my, my day job. So I, I own a company that does that. And, uh, when I started the company, um, cause I originally for a little bit there, I was working for somebody else and I was being mm-hmm. paid like, you know, 55, 60 an hour, which yeah. like, you know, we were coming out of college, like I, I thought, oh, this is a lot, right? This is pretty yeah. good. Then like I went out on my own and and I charged 120. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, wow. Now now this is a lot, right? Because I charge 120. Yeah. And then uh, I had a client, a prospective client turn me down. And she, and like I was uh, talking to her because she was very polite. She was very nice. And I asked mm-hmm. her like, you know, uh, what she thought uh, was you know, an issue, why she'd prefer a different tutor. And she's like, well, because you didn't charge enough. I'm not sure if you're actually good. Um, <laughs> so I learned my lesson from that and started charging more than double that number. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm yeah. like, it's like, like it's, it's crazy. Like a bunch of my clients, I've gotten into them and it's like, like, if I did not charge them at least 300, they wouldn't believe I'm legit. That's a wow. real thing. <laughs> yeah. That's it, crazy, it, actually. It, it's paradoxical, right? So this is the yeah. problem. Like, because my, my little brother, he's um, my little brother is around uh, seventeen now, and, and I'm, mm-hmm. he's he's starting to do his own little entrepreneurial stuff. And okay. uh, I'm sort of I'm, I'm working through the same problem that you're describing with, with him now. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to get, get him to understand that like there's actually many circumstances that people that were like they not only will they pay you more if you ask for more, but they'll actually mm-hmm. prefer it. They'll yeah. pay you more and thank you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a huge benefit to to knowing what you're actually worth. I think like I mean that's probably something I still struggle with, and a lot of people still struggle with. But you're kind of I guess when you uh yeah when you're working a job or like when you're yeah 18 19 years old you think oh there's no way what I'm doing is is worth this amount of money, but you know, you just got to look objectively at your skills and, and the value you're providing. And I think a lot of the time, like, you know, we're, uh, we're adding more value than, than we're giving ourselves credit for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, let's, uh, l- l- let's cover a few extra topics and then, you know, I'll give you the floor for anything I missed. Uh, yeah, so, sure. uh, I-, I promised before I was going to ask about the avatar. Uh, so oh, if you're a cop, yeah. <laughs> tell me about Katinga. Why Katinga? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, unfortunately I don't really have a super special story behind this one. So I was um, I was a pretty late entry, not late entry, but I joined the jungle a couple weeks after it started, and so I was looking for an animal uh, to pick, and it seemed like every single idea I had, someone had already claimed. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is really close. Like, I, I'm spending four hours on a Saturday trying to find a boat that animal. Like, I just, this is a waste of my time. I need to pick something. So I just looked up like exotic jungle animals on Google and I saw the Katinga and I thought the bird looked pretty cool. Uh, and I And I went with that. I'm a fan, dude. I'm a fan. Lots of colors. Yeah, All right. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a cool looking bird for sure. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. All right, man. So, uh, I mean, I, I went through a whole b- a bunch of topics here. Covered crypto. Covered investments. Covered a little bit of your backstory. How you got into the jungle. 
vision for the future. Uh, why don't we try to crystallize that vision a little bit uh, as, as we close things out? Yeah. Uh, where do you see things going in, in the next three to five years? I mean, uh, I know that a lot of people have gotten sort of blackpilled with the whole, you know, government coming after us sort of thing. Where, mm -hmm. where do you see, you know, you know, things maybe in like three to five years and then, you know, there on after? Yeah. Yeah. So um, and I think I said this on Twitter the other day. It seems like people are getting, in my opinion, like a little bit too pessimistic on the government's gonna like just crack down on crypto and, and take everything from us. And if you're not, you know, prepared with all these things, you're you're pretty screwed. I think um I don't know, three to five years, like that's the world is, is moving pretty fast today. Uh but mm, I I still plan on being in the in the US probably three or four years from now unless something uh crazy happens. So I don't, I guess I don't think anything um, too insane. I mean, look, inflation is going to keep going up. Uh, right. I think, you know, the the middle class is is definitely going to keep being compressed. And the. Oh, actually, that's a really cool point. I want to bring this up with you. Sorry, you, you just reminded me of something. I'm sorry about interrupting. Oh, but, no problem. Yeah. But uh, there was a story that came out in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago uh, mm -hmm. with uh, BlackRock using funds from the Federal Reserve to buy residential real estate. Yes. Uh, what do you think about that? Because I'm not going to lie that that sort of made every you know light bulb in my head explode. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't know, obviously, it's not a not a good thing for the average uh, American who wants to buy a home. But honestly, like, I think BlackRock themselves is probably just probably just responding to you know what the what the government's doing with printing money i mean they have so much so much cash to invest from the federal reserve and if they're not of course they're not into into crypto yet so you know if you want to deploy that cash what is an asset class that is definitely gonna protect its value over the long term um real estate definitely uh is kind of fills that I guess meets that criteria in terms of, I think historically it offers pretty good returns and it's pretty inflation resistant. So um, yeah, BlackRock just has all this, all this dry powder and they're responding to the incentives, which, uh, you know, they're not stupid. They know there's inflation. So uh, they're going to, they're going to put that money in, in hard assets. And one of those assets is, is real estate, unfortunately for, um, a lot of, of residential homeowners right now that are that are getting outbid. Okay, yeah, no, that, that's the part that worries me because, like, I, I've seen that people are getting outbid by like, what twenty, thirty percent over oh, asking. A lot. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's going to make it really hard because I mean, like, I mean, you can probably relate to this too because I'm not. Uh, I'm only a little bit older than you. Like, I'm I'm twenty four, oh, okay. um, and so like I, I'm looking to probably uh i mean i was going to buy a house this year actually mm -hmm. but because my company is only uh i have a few companies but yeah. uh be because my, the the one that i declared my uh income taxes on was uh only like a year and a half old okay. i wasn't able i wasn't able to show two years of tax returns so they wouldn't give me a mortgage ironically oh. <laughs> despite the yeah. fact that i had yeah, i had a big down payment too it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was really disappointing it was, it's a new rule during COVID or something man um, yeah, it sucks 
Yeah. So I'm gonna have to wait a year, and like I'm now I'm I'm worried because like if the prices go up enough, I mean like fortunately like my money's invested, so like with inflation it's gonna appreciate. So I'm not worried about you know losing the the down payment or anything. So thank God for that. Um, But yeah, that's gonna be a real problem for people, especially like if you're not making like you know two three extra expenses. And this is something that perhaps we could, you know, clarify about like personal finance, personal investing. I want to like, you know, just highlight a tweet that I think I made that I'm, I'm sure that you, you can probably echo uh, with this. I'm sure you probably yeah. say something similar yourself that like if, if you don't have your house in order in terms of keeping your expenses significantly below your, uh, your, uh, your income, you're mm-hmm. going to have a real problem hanging in the space. Like oh, bull- yeah. Yeah, Bull, I think, was saying something about this too, right? That, like, you know, if, if you uh, had a real problem when the, the currencies dropped, like a month, uh, a few weeks ago, rather. Yeah. Your problem is your cash loss, period. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So people people need to keep that in mind that uh, they should have multiple cash flows that you should be living, you know, way below your means because otherwise it, it, you just can't hang the, the sort of thing, especially if they're going to try to pump and dump the market left and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, definitely a lot of people, a lot of people forget that. And I think early on, I, I definitely fell into that trap too. Like you can't just, yeah, you can't just buy crypto with your savings and sit there and hope like the, yeah, the cash flow and, and getting those location independent businesses up. That's the the most important thing at the end. Absolutely. Of the Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Katinga. So uh, I think we covered a lot of really fantastic topics today. I'm really happy with how this uh, this turned out. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to discuss that uh, I didn't bring up? I mean, anything that's important to you? Um, uh, I don't think so. Not really. I guess um, I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I I'm always interested personally in how, and I don't know if you've told this story before, but in, in how other people get into the jungle because and followed bull originally because i think you know i wanted to pursue a wall street career and i discovered wall street playboys and uh you know i realized the information was correct and kind of used them to to help for my recruiting purposes and and just followed them along from there and then got into crypto but like you run a successful e-com business i assume you were never in finance and a lot of uh i know a lot of people in the discord kind of have super varied and, and impressive backgrounds so yeah it's crazy right yeah like how how did you uh how did you originally uh, i like how, how, how to get into this space yeah, yeah so so uh it's it's funny actually so i um i i don't think i actually have told the story before i mean i think i've told it maybe in discord but uh not as much so uh for me <laughs> so i um i went I started working at Brookhaven National Laboratory doing physics research when I was about 15. Um, and so my work was in high energy physics. Um, I worked designing uh, components for uh, the muon G minus two ring. And uh, I, I did that for a while. And then I was on a different project having to do with cosmic rays. And I kept working on all that stuff when I was in college and I uh, graduated with degrees in physics and math. And uh, when I was done with all of that, I had always planned on going to get a PhD um, and then ending up as a quant. So that actually was something that I had always wanted to do. There was a book called The Physics of Wall Street. Uh, I think the author was Weatherall. I think I think that, that was his name. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, I've read that when I was in high school. And, you know, I had also done a lot of business competitions when I was in high school. So I was involved in an organization called DECA. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, uh, DECA? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's a business competition thing for high school kids. But um, okay. it's, it's a big, like, international thing. And they have, like, these worldwide competitions. And so I was a global finalist uh, for financial services when I was in high school. Uh, so I was, I, was, I was pretty decent at that. And I was pretty interested. In it. And, you know, at the same time, of course, I was working in physics and like I, I was always pretty confused about like you know, how you could possibly combine you know all those interests and then boom physics of wall street and i'm like yeah this is great i can go be a quant sounds awesome uh, and i was really good at writing simulations I, I did monte carlo simulations a lot of the time okay. for, for the um the, the physics work i was doing so a lot of that's pretty transferable um and uh i wanted to do that for a lot of years and then when around the time i was graduating from college I was recruited briefly by uh, by BlackRock, actually, and okay. then I dr I dropped out of the recruiting process uh, because I just at that point that's completely lost interest. I, I just I, I didn't want to work on Wall Street, um, for, mostly for like just uh, ideological reasons. Um, yeah. I, I I realized that like my personality type did not fit working in a large organization. Um, so uh, I, I milled around for a bit, and then I ended up getting a job on a congressional campaign. Um, I believe it or not, I started working as an unpaid uh, intern. And then within about two months, I was running it. And uh, then afterwards, they hired me in Washington. Mm -hmm. Then I worked in Washington for about a year doing legislative work and fundraising and a whole bunch of other like cool stuff. And I, uh, I actually... I. I I was able to go to the White House uh, a couple of times and uh, did a whole bunch of interesting stuff in there uh, without going into too much detail because I'll end up doxing myself. I was involved in some pretty major legislation, mm -hmm. uh, which was pretty awesome. And I did that mostly because I had a personal bone to pick, which, once again, if I, it's ironic because if I explain any of this, I'm going to dox myself. Like That, that was like way too public. Um, uh, anyway, this is all, all this is to say that... Um, once I got sick of politics, I realized, and this is around 2018 or so, that uh, I realized that the thing that transcends politics, and part of the reason why you know you'll see that the jungle, like we're a little bit political, but like not really, uh, yeah. and it's it's ironic considering how you know toxically political everything else has gotten. Mm -hmm. um, I realized the thing that transcends all of that is the ability to you know invest well and invest freely, and that if the uh, government didn't have control over the monetary policy that affects my finances, and uh, uh, you know every other kind of intrusion they could have is almost so expensive that it's hard for them to do it. You know, yeah. um, so I figured, you know, and this is around like 2018, 2019. At that point, I started following Wall Street Playboys. I started, you know, getting into a lot of the same information. I started investing in crypto, um, and uh, I've been I've been following this whole space ever since. Uh, though my, my portfolio is a little bit different from other people because I'm I'm still invested in uh, a significant amount of traditional assets. Uh, that's mostly because I follow like. Do you follow Adam Townsend on Twitter? Um, I've heard of him before. I don't I don't follow him, but yeah, I'm yeah, familiar. Yeah, yeah. He, has, he has some pretty cool investment theses about the cartelization of the United States, and I subscribe to a similar idea, uh, which is that like. 
I believe that there are a small number of very large companies that right now are accumulating an enormous number of assets, and I don't see anything that's stopping them right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I keep a good amount of investments in uh, traditional assets. It's about thirty to forty percent of my portfolio. That's okay. that's, over, that's over there. Uh, just because, like, I, 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 if I intend to stay in the United States, I don't want to end up. Uh, as part of the underclass that they're, 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 they're creating. Sorry. Oh yeah, I just said yeah, definitely, definitely do not want to be a part of that. Underclass. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely right. Yes, yeah, so, so that's why I keep some in there. But like, I'm still, I'm mostly in crypto, uh, mm -hmm. but, and uh, that that's in no small part a result of the fact that like the 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 amount of uh, the value of the assets actually just like went through the roof. It's kind of amazing, actually. The, 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 the percentage composition of my portfolio changed because of how much crypto went up last year. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Right? It did yeah. what? I guess from all-time high levels, definitely a 10x. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There, was a, there, there was a brief point when we're, my, my portfolio was like 90-10. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it was going to stay that way until it dropped recently. <laughs> So I was a little bit disappointed during that, but it'll come back up. I'm not too worried about yeah, it long term. Sure. Very, I think this whole community is super bullish long term. Yeah. Uh, but before we leave, and uh, this is something uh, kind of interesting, are you going to be jumping into Link? I just want to get your opinion on that real quick before you before we go, because I've been curious about that. What's your take on that one? On on Link? Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, I think like the the value proposition for link in in my i guess for me is like obviously bringing the, all the smart contract data to the real world um is is super cool but like the whole um the whole concept of, of verifiable truth on the on the blockchain is is very um i think it's going to be very important in the future um and like i don't know in today's in today's world like you know, you've got, you've got MSM kind of saying whatever they want and they've got these fact checkers and, and all these other people that are bought and paid for that are just the arbiters of truth in today's society. And it just sucks because like you just can't believe anything that you read anywhere yeah. online. And I think um, Chainlink being the best uh, Oracle by far, um, they... Uh, I'm, I'm hoping and I think that this will happen, like being able to introduce a system where, you know, eventually again, like everything goes on chain, you can kind of, uh, they can kind of create a system where you're financially incentivized to, to tell the truth. And, uh, you know, that, that I think um, just at a high level is uh, going to be huge for, for the digital economy. And that's, that's one of the main reasons why I'm super bullish on Link. Fantastic. All right. We've got another, another Link Marine in the house. Hoorah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. I think that's a pretty positive note for us to start wrapping it up on. All right. Katinga, thank you so much for uh, sharing your valuable time, your experience with, with all of us. Uh, welcome again to the jungle. We're very glad to have you. Uh, and thank you for all the value you've contributed so far. I look forward to the Substack. I hope that is upcoming. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll drop five bucks a month on it for sure. All right. Um, and I'm sure other people in the jungle would love, love, love to see that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds, sounds good. I will, uh, 
I don't know. I think I'll, I'll definitely be be doing. I'll, I'll definitely be looking into the Substack. I would say very good chance that 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 ends up happening after our conversation today. I uh, I think that'll be I think that'll be a good idea. All right, I think we can call that a win then. All right, Katinka, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, had a great time. All right, all right, see you, Sponge. Thanks.